take our Bibles and turn in them to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We'll be looking mostly at chapter, verse 20. Our text will be verses 20 and 21. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was able to bring a message from this area of the book. We started in verse 17, and we looked at um, following men. Paul said to follow him. He said there's others that are out there that we could follow. And um, there wasn't enough time to go through the whole uh, paragraph, which is from 17 to the end of the chapter. And so we will, I'm glad that it was just a couple weeks instead of a couple months since we looked at that. So hopefully we can remember some of what we uh, talked about uh, those few weeks ago. It might have been the last time I was actually here on a Sunday night. Uh, so, or at least up here, a couple weeks ago I was here, but I wasn't able to be here right at the beginning of the service, but Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, God says to us there, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, we know that whatever's going on around us or whatever difficulty we may be going through, we can open your word and know that we'll hear from you. Um, your word is the only thing we have that speaks your word, speaks through which you speak to us. Lord, when we go through a, a hard time, and um, something prompts us, and we get encouragement from it, if we are honest about it, we know that that prompting sent us to your word, reminded us of your word. If we're in a, in a wonderful time, and we remember that all these things come from you, we should remember that that comes from your word, that we remember these things. Your spirit uh, speaks to us, but he uses his word to speak through it, to us. And Lord, thank you so much that you left us with your word. You're not as uh, the fake gods of this world that um, in people's minds, they don't know what God has said. They don't know what their God has said. They, they live from day to day, just worried that they might offend him. But Lord, honestly, we've all offended you. But you sent your son to take the punishment for our sin. And then you, you gave us your word so that we could know everything that you expect from us and the way that we can live a life of peace with you being justified through faith in Christ Jesus. So tonight as we come to your word, I pray that you would, um, you would help me to open it up and um, that you would help your people to Receive your word. Each one of us could receive something different from it because your word is so infinitely powerful and rich. I'm not that powerful, but your word is. And so each of us could take something out different from this word tonight, and we pray that whatever it is you have for each of us, we would receive it from you as it is in truth the word of God. And we ask that you would receive praise and glory from what's been done and will be done through the rest of this night. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The city of Philippi was a Roman colony. Now, colonies there uh, in the Roman world were a little different than we as Americans think of colonies. But, um, so, a, a colony, a Roman colony, was a city or a town that was settled by citizens of Rome, um, and it possessed, the people in that city possessed a special standing in the eyes of the Roman government as a result. So Philippi um, is a town now, we would say it's on, in eastern Greece, I suppose, not far from Turkey, a long way from Rome, but it was a town that Rome decided would be one of its colonies. And, and often they would, they would give land and possessions in these colonies to uh, veterans of their army. But, um, but in that town, they had different laws. They didn't, they didn't have the same laws as the towns around them. Their laws were the laws of Rome, the laws of their home. Citizenship, which, and I mention that because the word conversation behind that, and there's, there's a reason that our, our scriptures use the word conversation, but um, since, the t- since the time that our translators gave us that word, uh, its conversation has kind of narrowed its meaning. But it, so for us today, we would um, understand the idea of citizenship with this word, and um, so the purpose of a colony then, purpose of a Roman colony, was to secure that area for Rome and spread Rome's way of doing things. Um, its customs, its culture, its laws. And Philippi was such a colony, and it had... And so the highest legal status obtainable by a provincial municipality was this of a colony. Its citizens were were Roman citizens with all the rights and privileges afforded them. So Roman citizenship was quite a thing. We remember that Paul made something of his Roman citizenship. And he uses that idea, which the, the... the, the people of Philippi, the people in the church at Philippi, would have understood um, maybe even better than we do. This paragraph begins in verse 17, and if you'll look there, we'll remember some of the things that we talked about the last time I was able to speak, and it says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. He said, follow me, Paul. Then he said, follow those that walk like me. And then he said, Here's the reason, uh, well, there's the contrast, verse 18, for many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he tells us about them, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. And coming off of that last description of these others, who are the enemies of the cross of Christ, He tells us where his mind is. And this is also um, not in contrast, but why we should follow him. If you look back at verse 17, we'll skip 18 and 19 and come to 20. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. 
For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. There's still a lot here to go through, and um, I, I won't take the time to, to expand all of it. I would like to look at, just address each thing a little bit, hopefully, but I think the point of this is uh, the, the point that the Holy Spirit wants us to, to get out of this, uh, these verses, is where our citizenship is. The title of my message is Our Citizenship and Home. Our Citizenship and Home. And the reason is because of the way these, this sentence works, these sentences work. He says, follow me. I think that's the main thing. But why should we follow him? Because our conversation is in heaven. Because Paul and the people that walked like him, their conversation was in heaven. And if we're to follow him and them, we should be living as if our conversation is in heaven. And in fact, it is. So um, conversation there is, is the idea of citizenship. And we'll come back to that as I think that is the main thing that we should learn from tonight. He says, our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior. So from, from whence, whence is um, a preposition that kind of means from where. So we could say from where we look for, also we also, uh, also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's where he is. We, we look for him from there. You remember when he was here, uh, not with us uh, personally, but when he was here, uh, the last day he was here, he took the disciples out to a mountain and he talked with them. And when he had spoken these things, Acts 1 verse 9 says, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? You know, there's a song, some of you will, will chuckle, I didn't even think of this until I saw this, but they're foolish questions, you know, why do we stay, why are we looking up in heaven, have you ever seen anything like that before, and of course these that said that to them, it was no surprise for them, but why stand you gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven, so He's coming back in the same way, the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So he's coming from heaven, same way that he went to heaven. And it's, it, the, the verse, uh, as he continues to say that, it says, our conversation isn't, is in heaven, from whence also we look, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look for the Savior. Um, Somebody will remind me of what, which one it is, but I remember years back, maybe um, I was in college maybe, or, or maybe just soon out of college, uh, it wasn't a book, I was reading a book for pleasure, but it was a historical novel, and it was about the disciples. And um, I just remember I was reading or listening, I can't remember how, but they, the, the novelist um, built into the story this idea that 
these disciples, you could see them. They would come to a crossroads, and they would look this way, and they would look that way, and they would look that way. And the reason they would did that, because they never knew if Jesus would be coming up the road. They were looking for him all the time. Now, we don't come to a stoplight and look and say, is Jesus in that car or whatever? And, and the word look here isn't a literal look like we're like, like what I'm describing, like, we're, oh, he might come through the back door right now. But it has even more meaning than that, and that is that we expectantly wait for him. We, we're waiting for him expectantly. We're, um, we're assuming, we're expecting him to come. It's waiting patiently for something and waiting expectantly. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven... The Christian is expecting his king to come. And so we look for the Savior. Not with these physical eyes do we look around, but with our heart. And with the eyes of our heart, we're expecting him to come. We're waiting for him to come. And um, I might say that we, 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 we look and wait for him expectantly with our feet and our hands, too. We dare not be found lounging around when he shows up. We dare not be found beating the servants and gorging ourselves when the master shows up. We must be about the master's business. And so we occupy till he comes. We, we fill um, this space that he's given us that is not our home. But we're here as... Citizens, strangers, and pilgrims, and we're going, to, we're going to do the best we can to claim this land that he's put us in for our king. But, so, from whence we look for the Savior. So the, the term Savior, interestingly, and probably you've all heard this, but I, I just think it's interesting here, especially in Philippi, they would understand this even more so, but the term Savior was frequently used of the emperor, of the Roman emperor, of the Roman Caesar. Caesar. I'm pretty sure it's Caesar Augustus that had a coin. You can see it. He's called a Savior and the Son of, son of, the, son of God, a Son of the Gods. And, and so when Christ comes, there's quite a conflict there. There's quite a, you know... Caesar already said he was the son of God, and Jesus is coming saying he's the son of God. I think we'll, if I recall, um, we'll read about this in the next 28 days, one of those, uh, one of those days. But, you know, it's not just the Roman Caesars that would call themselves Savior. Empires and governments frequently blaspheme the name of God and usurp his position but only the Lord Jesus Christ is Savior. Our humongous government here fashions itself as wise, as all-knowing, as caring, as full of bounty, like it can take care of you whatever situation you're in. If you're sick, 
it will care for you. If you're hungry, it will feed you. If you're, all you have to do is bow and worship. And that's in America, which was founded as a Christian nation. We should remember that only the Lord Jesus Christ is Savior. I'm not saying every person that works for the government is, a, is an idol. Um, I see Brother John back there. He works for the city of Portage, that wicked place, that wicked man back there. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to say that. But even in America, even Christians in America, our hearts can be, we can be idolatrous in almost the same way as the Christians of the Bible were fighting against emperor worship, government worship. Your God is who supplies your needs. Your God is who supplies your needs. And so we ought to, we ought to be, be careful of that. But that's not the point of the message. But it's there. We have a real Savior. The Lord. And he's Lord. That's why it costs to serve him. Whatever he wants. He says, I want that. Yep. The Lord Jesus Christ. So it says, our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. This body will be changed. Mr. Ramus, I'm looking at him. He's praying for me uh, because he got to speak up here this morning. And uh, wow, what a day, right? For Mr. Ramus, I don't know. Half of it, probably, but I know he was on the bus, and then he came in and he was doing a children's program, and I'm starting the service a little bit late because I know there was we didn't have a testimony this morning, and I'm hoping that Pastor Olson elaborates during the announcements because so that Mr. Ramus could make it up here. Uh, anyway, I'm, that's why I keep looking that way. Mr. Ramus is cheerleading for me, but. He walks around like with a crooked body, he looks, and he's been walking that way for like 20 years. <laughs> That's what I thought of. But the Lord will change his body. And all of us. Um, I wasn't able to be with us last week. I'll always be able to be with the Lord once he changes this body. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Behold, I showed you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The word here, vile, the vile body, um, is kind of a, it's again, um, it's not saying that our body is um, um, something to be despised, like, uh, like we would think of vile these days. Um, it's, it's more of a, it's more of a, a word contrasting with his glorious body, right? So, um, 
Remember when Paul said in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Our body is so weak. Our flesh is so weak. Um, every time we turn around, we're, we're fighting. Uh, if, if we love the Lord, we're fighting against our flesh. And it's not that we despise our flesh, but man, it gets us in trouble. And, but someday, he'll change us. And he, he we will be changed and fashioned like unto his glorious body. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And, and we, could, we won't study the, the chapter 15 of uh, 1 Corinthians, but it's, a, man, it's beautiful to, to look at that. Um, wow. A seed goes into the ground and it looks like one thing and it comes out and it's totally different. But it's the same, I don't know, I won't say something scientific because I'll probably be wrong. But it started this way and it comes out this way. We start like this. But he's going to change us. And our body will be like his glorified body. Some people who lived on the earth saw that glorified body. Mary Magdalene saw it in the garden. right? The disciples saw it on the road to Damascus. or They didn't know they were seeing it, but they saw it. He came and stood. He walked. He didn't walk through a door. He, he appeared inside a room. Um, and yet, that ghost of a body, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that it's not a ghost of a body, but that body that could appear and reappear, it could eat. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it had the signs of his suffering in it, in his side and in his hands. There was enough there that Everybody could recognize him, and we'll be able to recognize one another, but we will not be in this body. We'll be changed. And it will, that will be a demonstration of divine power. It is a demonstration of the divine power of the one who's able to subdue all things unto himself. Our present body will be transformed into a body that will last forever. This body here is not lasting forever. Someday, somebody will plant it in the ground, in a casket, hopefully. Um, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say, I don't know how I want to die. Um, but I think a casket would be nice rather than being blown to smithereens. Maybe being blown to smithereens would be um, quicker. And uh, Pastor Vogelin, what are you talking about? <laughs> Our body will be changed. This present body will be transformed into a body that will last forever. A body that will not know pain or disease. Or worse than that, sin. It will be a body that is timeless in its character and will never wear out. It will be suited in holiness for the glorious presence of the Lord. No man can stand before God and live. But that body will be able to. It doesn't mean that our bodies will have divine attributes, such as only God possesses, but our resurrection bodies will reflect, to some extent, the beauty, the glory, and the holiness which is in the resurrection body of our Lord in heaven. How will he do this? The verses say that he will do this according to his working. Um, 
according to the working whereby the energy, this, he will do this, he has the, the power, the energy, the working to be able to do this. And, and so he will, this is how it will happen, through his power. God, we must note and remember, is working. God is working according to um, the according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. God is working. Working is a present word. It's an active word. We're not sitting in some place, and God's not doing anything. God is working. The Father is working. The Son is working, and the Spirit is working. It's an effectual work. God's work is effectual. We can see the results of His work in our own lives. You're here. Left to yourself, you would not be here. Just, just basic, just right there. Left to yourself, you would, I wouldn't be here. And none of you would be, oh, I would be here. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Left to yourself. You would not be here. So I'm the one that got in the car. No. no. I know you did that. But left to yourself, you wouldn't get in the car. You wouldn't turn the ignition. You would go somewhere else. You would sit home and watch whatever it is, whatever it is people want to watch these days. Entertain yourself. But God is working and we can see the results of his work in our own lives and in those around us. Look around you. If you wouldn't be here without the work of God, neither would it be the person next to you or the person down the pew. And that's just being here. So much God is doing in our lives. And I would say... It's an effectual work, but it's also an ongoing work. It's present, it's active, it's ongoing. We know that he continues to work in our lives. None of us have got to the point where we need no more work done on us. That only happens when he changes our body. But it's an ongoing work. He works through his spirit. He continues to work in our lives and those around us. And then, it's an eventual work. Eventually, he won't need to work anymore. We believe, we know, that he will one day change, and that means, as the verse says, subdue everything. That's one of the things he's got to work at. I go through life, and I think this is really important. And God has to tell me, no that is not really important. This is really important. And that's what that word subdue has to do with. Ordering things. Ranking things. Someday, he will subdue all things unto himself. He is preeminent. He is at the top of everything. But someday, everything will know that he is at the top of everything. And everything will subdue itself. He will subdue everything, and everything will get in the right order. For us, we look at this world, our stomach growls, and we say, food is important. And be silly. But 
We look, our, our flesh says, this is important, or this is important. This pleasure, this comfort is important. And we say, I'm going to spend a lot of money on this. And maybe, I don't know the priority. Jesus does. The Holy Spirit does. Maybe that takes a higher priority than it should. Maybe we should spend less money on that and spend more money on this. Someday, all things will be subdued to him. Put in order, prioritized. And I guess I should, we, we should remember that getting those priorities right, we can get better at getting priorities right when we remember that our conversation is in heaven. When we mind earthly things, like those enemies of the cross of Christ, we have an earthly priority. We have a fleshly priority. But if we think, set our affection, our thoughts, our mind in heaven, that'll help our priorities get in the right place. Somebody wrote that I was reading as I was preparing for this, heaven will solve every problem. I have this problem. Many times a decision is a problem. But heaven will solve that. Heaven will answer every question. And heaven will right every wrong. So, what should we do? How can we think of this passage today? I think the thing that we should think about it tonight is the point that is the beginning of verse 20. Our conversation is in heaven. Our citizenship in our home. You know, I love America. As I was thinking about this, I thought of the song we sing every graduation, right? God bless America, land that I love, right? It's a prayer. It's, it's very populist, maybe, when it was written. There's nothing evil about it. It's my home. I hope, I hope you love America. I'm comfortable here. Me and my wife, we like to travel. Well, I shouldn't say that way. I, I'm getting more and more like my wife. She says, I don't like to, I don't like to fly. But I like where I am when I get off the plane. <laughs> so but we, like to, we like to travel. We like to see other countries. It's intriguing to us. It's interesting. It's always good to be home. As I walk through this life, I talk about the things that are here. I try not to get too bogged down with it, but I do my part to know what's happening here. I have responsibilities here. I'm an American. As an American, I'm supposed to have some say and some... So it's my responsibility to do my part to pick the governors and the legislators and all of those that I have. I, I, need to, I need to pay attention. I need to know what's going on here. 
I'd try to make this a better place. I do things that I think will promote its welfare. Teaching in the Bible College promotes this country's welfare, whether it knows it or not. Teaching in the Christian school promotes its welfare. I do things that promote its welfare, but really it's not my home, right? And it's not yours either. You knew that as I was going through those things, didn't you? This world is not our home. Heaven's my home. Heaven's my home. Our citizenship, our conversation is in heaven. It's there that our greatest privileges and concerns lie. I have a tremendous privilege of being an American. That doesn't compare to the privilege of being a citizen of heaven. There are things about this country that bother me. I'm concerned about them. But when I'm right with God, I'm way more concerned about the things in heaven than I am about the things here. My greatest concerns are there. My conversation is there. I talk to you and others about what's going on in politics and government and the economy and all that. We can talk about those things. But conversations about heaven are much better I'm related to the things here, but more, more related to the things there. Um, we keep a correspondence with it. I hear from heaven. I hear from heaven when I sit in church. And the preacher opens the word of God and tells me what the Bible says. I hear from heaven when I sit at home and read my Bible I correspond with heaven when I stop and worship the Lord and, and pray and bring my request before him. Our cor my correspondence is with heaven. Heaven is where my head is. Where the head of my president is. And the head of my governor is in heaven. It's where my home is. And I do hope to be there shortly. We are like a colony of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The Philippians knew what it meant to be a colony of Rome. They were there in Macedonia. But they, their loyalties were not to Macedonia. They were to Rome. The laws they were governed by were not Macedonia's laws. They were Rome's laws. And we are a colony of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're here. But our loyalties are compared to heaven are not here. Our laws. We're not subject to these laws. Not if, we're, not if we make ourselves subject to the laws of heaven. Man that's subject to the laws of heaven doesn't, have to, doesn't need a single law of the government. He obeys the laws of the government, but why? 
because he obeys the law of God. We're like a colony of citizens of the kingdom of heaven, planted in this world with special privileges because we come from another place and with responsibilities to the country of our citizenship. That's why in the model prayer, we pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. I read this quote the last time, but it's, it's, it struck me, and I, I, I like it, so I'm going to read it again. The early Christians in the 100s and 200s, a man was writing about them, and he described them this way. For Christians are distinguished from the rest of men, neither by country. You can be a Christian and be from any country in the world. Nor by language. You can be a Christian and speak any language. Nor by customs. Christians have different customs. The Christians in, look at Pastor Olson, the, the, the Christians in Zambia have different customs than the, the Christians in, uh, where did he go? Where's Levi? McGovern. In Papua New Guinea. I'll bet they do. Zambia, Papua New Guinea, America, Alaska, for that matter. Um, different customs, but they're all Christians. They're distinguished neither by country nor language nor by customs, for nowhere do they dwell in cities of their own. There's not a city that's like gospel city, you know, and only Christians live there. Um, nowhere do they dwell in cities of their own. They do not use any strange forms of speech or practice a singular mode of life. Now, strange forms, I mean, we talk about justification and sanctification, but, but no, no, no secret language. No, no words that nobody else could understand if they didn't study them. We don't have a singular mode of life. We're, we're not all engineers or whatever. Not a singular mode of life. But while they dwell both in uh, Greek or barbarian cities, you know, sophisticated or not sophisticated cities, each, wherever his lot was cast, and follow the customs of the land and dress and food and other manners of living, they show the remarkable and admittedly strange order of their own citizenship. They live in fatherlands of their own, but as aliens. Put that sink in. They live in fatherlands of their own, homelands, as aliens. They share all things as citizens and suffer all things as if they're strangers. Every foreign land is their fatherland, and every fatherland is a foreign land. They pass their days on earth, but they have their citizenship in heaven. Those that have their citizenship in heaven, every foreign land is their fatherland. That's why we go around the world. There's a land. I don't know the language. I don't know the customs. But I know they need the gospel. That'll be my homeland. I'll rip up my family from this homeland and I'll take them there and that'll be in my homeland. Every foreign land is a fatherland. It's territory that should be claimed and tamed for the father. And every fatherland is a foreign land. This world is not my home. Even the place we call home, America, land that I love, is so foreign to the ways of the kingdom of heaven. Our conversation 
Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where Jesus is. We, he went up there. This, his glorified body that we were talking about, that body is in heaven. He never, he never died again. That same body went up into heaven. And that same Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back from heaven. That's where we're going. Living here in this homeland that's a foreign land can be hard. But there's somebody that's done it before. Right? We sang about it, right? Thou didst leave thy throne in thy heavenly home when thou camest to earth. Jesus walked this earth. He created it. It was his. But he lived here as a stranger. They rejected him. So if we want to know how to live in this land as citizens of heaven, just look at the life of Christ. How did he do it? That's what we can do. As I was thinking about this, I thought of um, something that the man that has guided us most of the time when we've been in Israel said once or twice even. Uh, he's, I don't know that he's even saved, but it's just a funny saying, but it, it has, a, has a good meaning, I think, for us. Or I'm going to try to give it a good meaning. He said, if you're going to be living in the New Jerusalem, you Christians, you might as well at least learn, learn the names of the, the streets before you get there. Are you going to live in heaven? Might as well learn the language of heaven. And I'm not talking like gibberish. How do they talk in heaven? Practice talking like they talk in heaven. Practice thinking like they think in heaven. How do they act in heaven? How do they act in heaven? We can see some of what happens in heaven. Might as well start learning those customs. Don't want to stick out like you don't know what to do. Our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. Let's live like it. Let's live like it. Let's think like it. Let's wish like it. Let's work like it. Let's arrange our priorities. Subdue everything to Jesus Christ so that we're ready when he calls us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your word. And I pray that as we've looked at this, these few verses, these thoughts that you could use them to strengthen us, to help us to be more faithful for you, to be better witnesses for our Lord, to walk in the Spirit as he's within us, guiding us. Lord, help us to listen. 
Lord, I pray that your word, your spirit would have used your word to work in our hearts tonight, and I pray that you'd be glorified through what's been said. In Jesus' name, amen.